You're listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast, where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them. We elicit expert advice from exit planners, attorneys, merger and acquisition experts, accountants, business appraisers, and financial advisors, all with a goal of educating you about the sales process. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition. Hello and welcome. It's Noah Rosenfarb, the author of Exit, Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise, and a partner of Freedom Business Advisors, where we help business owners protect, grow, and transfer their business in conjunction with their financial and estate plan. And today, we've got Davis Icunas from Bond Capital. And he's done over 130 transactions and uh, got a lot of experience in investment banking and mezzanine debt and private equity. But our focus for today is really on capital structure. And I wanted Davis to share with us some stories around uh, different ways that owners have utilized capital structure to enhance the growth of their business and eventually their edges. So, Davis, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Noah. So, uh, as I was alluding to, you know, prior to the call, you and I were talking about how owners in this lower middle market often are confused about what available sources of capital exist. They know they could go borrow from a bank, and they know they could sell their company or equity in their company, but obviously there's some other alternatives, and maybe you could share with the audience what they are and how people could access them, and, and let's tell some stories about owners you've worked with and how it's helped them grow their business. Sure, sure. Really, it breaks into five uh, specific pieces. You know, at the very top of the stack, there is something we would call senior debt or, or asset back or stretched lending. Uh, second to that, typically something called senior subordinated debt. Uh, next down would be convertible subordinated debt. Next down would be redeemable preferred stock. And, and last would be your equity. And th- those middle three pieces, uh, the basically are the senior subordinated, uh, convertible subordinated, and, and re- redeemable preferred are just other ways that you can bring in uh, people on a temporary basis to help you uh, make a step change, uh, uh, which is typically because you want to buy out an existing shareholder or you want to uh, buy another company or you want to uh, uh, make a substantial investment in your existing uh, assets of your business. Um, And and it's those um, uh, pieces that often, when the risk is somewhat behind you, you're not looking to sell equity. Um, the bank always has its limit. It might be at uh, two, somewhere between two and three times capital. Unfortunately, if you're a smaller business, often that uh, that, that number is towards two, not three. Um, and if you're trying to, you know, in the example where you're trying to buy a business, uh, and if the owner wants between five and six times for his business, um, how are you going to finance that missing um, um, uh, two or three or four turns of, of cash flow? And and it's there's, I guess, just a loose thought on that. So suggest to me, uh, maybe or tell a story about an owner that's approached Bond Capital. What were the circumstances, and, and how did you evaluate their current capital structure and propose some suggestions to, to sure. help? Sure. Um, we had a, a good example is, is a small buying big. So we, we had a, a, an owner, a father and son team, uh, that were running a small business that was uh, quite successful, and 
um, uh, they wanted to expand from distribution into manufacturing, and they'd come to understand that the manufacturer of their product was actually uh, looking to retire and get out of the business. Um, their business was quite small, and so they certainly uh, took that, that equity value as part of the transaction. Um, they borrowed some senior debt that we arranged for them, and then there was a piece that was missing. Um, um, you know, obviously you can't buy something if you don't have 100 cents on the dollar. So between the value of their business and, 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 and the bank's debt, they had about uh, 70% of what they needed. Um, and we basically did a further 20% uh, from bond capital mezzanine debt. Um, it was a private debt structure. And then we found a, actually an equipment, uh, a creative equipment lender that was willing to give them 10% of the financing um, um, just because he believed in the asset value of the manufacturing plant. And there was some equity in that that he was able to leverage. That's and that great. one, um, uh, obviously, those those guys. Uh, on, on the one hand, they they used our advice, and on the other hand, they also used our money to make that transaction complete. So, uh, just if you can, and, and you know, you don't have to use specific numbers; you could use ranges. What what were the cost of the various sources of capital? Uh, well, that senior debt. Um, I think you're doing a bad job if you're not getting it under five percent today. Um, then this, there's this next range, which is just call it um, alternative debt, and that would be guys uh, that are leasing, uh, maybe a lease uh, or an ABL. Um, that that uh, product comes in at between sort of five and nine percent. Then there's uh, what I would call subordinated debt, um, and that's uh, typically because your asset's secured, you can get it, you're looking at sort of nine to twelve percent. But leverage is, in each of these cases, leverage. Let's just assume it turns by one, so two times cash flow is your senior debt piece at sub five. Uh, from two to three, you're just getting other creative equipment lenders to take you to three times leverage. And then above three times leverage, you're looking for someone that uh, um, um, is willing to look deeper into the balance sheet and, and perhaps they see other uh, goodwill that, uh, that they would consider as security or they just believe in the character of the business owner. That might take you to four times leverage. And then my advice would be above four times leverage, you probably want to have an equity partner or have the equity yourself to, to fund out uh, the, uh, the, that further uh, amount. And between uh, three and four, you know, I'm seeing kind of rates that are, call it 10 to 20, you know, depending on what It'll what range high, it's, and it just depends, obviously, because, you know, it's a very inefficient market, and, you know, the one thing about having an advisor is, is on your side is that, the, you know, they've... They've done it before, and they can help you uh, negotiate with these parties. And, and that's what we did in the example of that small business transaction. Um, um, we helped those guys um, enjoy a, a weighted average cost of debt of, uh, of 7%. Um, yeah. and, and if that's your cost of debt, it made it very attractive to proceed with the transaction of, of buying the business. Um, so, uh, in that case, it was pretty highly levered. So the piece that we were doing was between sort of three and four times leverage. Um, and, and the cost on that was about 17%. Yeah. And it was but, a mix but even of, still, um, as you mentioned, the total weighted average cost of capital was seven, which I think is, you know, it's great when you've got a, a group that basically has the ability to now go out and acquire and vertically integrate, and, you know, they would never be able to do that without help from someone like you. No, exactly. And, and then the other thing that comes out of that, um, um, if you've got a number of different layers that you can slot in, it's just like a big champagne fountain, right? As You want to take as much in the higher cups as you possibly can um, because you're going out 
typically, uh, at some point in your business career, if you're really advancing, you look to grow um, um, inorganically. Obviously, organic growth means you're just getting more customers. Inorganic growth is you're buying someone else's customers by acquiring their company somehow or their customer list somehow. And, and so when you're uh, first introduced to owners, what would you say on average is their familiarity with these different sources of capital? Uh, little or none. It's, um, I think if you go back 30 years ago, uh, it, it was very common. You could go to a bank, and they had a, a fellow uh, sitting in the corner office. He was called the bank branch manager, and, and he was the fellow that, that gave you all this information and these tips. And, and with the advent of the Internet and computers, you know, that, that person now sits in New York, uh, sort of like uh, video review in the NFL, and, and, and basically the, it's, it's made it more difficult for, for smaller businesses or medium-sized businesses just to access advice. Um, and, and that's why people like us exist, is, is we're filling that void. So you, you had uh, created a website called StructuringFinance.com. Yeah, we sure why did. Uh, we, we noticed that yeah, there was a lot of uh, uh, basic questions we were getting asked, and, and, and to the extent that uh, uh, you know, it's just not that difficult to create a website, I, I just uh, put all those frequently asked questions into the form of an education piece and, and try to, uh, you know, I think, encourage these businessmen that... Uh, um, uh, you can grow your business and you should grow your business because that's um, um, ultimately, um, if you're not growing, you're probably shrinking and it can get dangerous if you're shrinking. <laughs> so uh, maybe you could tell me another story about people that have come to, to you looking for help and what their thought was originally and then how maybe through your advice you were able to structure something that was totally different than their initial um, approach to you and how it benefited them. Um, yeah, sure. Well, I guess there's a couple of things is... is what bond does is um, we, we go into a transaction uh, knowing that it's funded um, and the cost of that debt uh, or debt and equity might be 18%, let's say. So the good news is you start that transaction knowing that you've got all your money. And then all that happens next is the deal starts to get negotiated and you might be able to do better through good negotiation with the other side or whatever it is you're trying to accomplish, um, uh, just getting a lower price or better terms. And the other side of that coin is you start meeting other people, such as you know you're talking to the senior bank now, and you're looking at equipment to lenders, and um, um, and you're using these specialty players to just reduce the amount of money that you might take, say, from a bond capital, and and and, and that's kind of I guess the best example. We we would go out and and we've done this on a number of cases. Essentially, it's a bought deal. The guy's confident he can go out and and he's got the allowance to make his purchase. Um, and then we work with him um, um, uh, to shrink the bond piece to its smallest possible size um, by bringing in as much uh, lower-cost capital as we can possibly find. And how are you incentivized, uh, or how does your industry for other people that do it in the same way, how do you get incentivized to basically take out your money that's, that the owner's already committed at 18%? Um, I don't understand your question. Are you saying so why do we want to leave? So if you close the transaction, you've, you've already advanced the capital to the owner. Yep. And, and so they're essentially on the hook with you. Yep. Uh, what's in it for you to go out and get them a great deal on you know, some senior debt or some alternative Oh, debt? that's easy. Uh, it's statistical diversification. You know, when, when we were all in kindergarten, our mom said, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So no. you know, our, our strategy from our perspective is very, very simple. Um, the more investments we have and the smaller they are, um, uh, the greater the probability of ultimate success. And, and so we've always had that willing, it's a bit of a contrarian view. Uh, we're very good at marketing. We attract lots of deal flow, and it's just allowed us to be um, 
uh, favorable to these uh, situations. Um, the other thing, too, is I used to work at a senior bank, and, 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 and I really have taken a focus at Bond Capital that we prefer to have customers and not prisoners. Hmm. And, and just in that philosophy, it's, it's, it, it's just a more harmonious um, end, end game, right, is um, um, notwithstanding, you know, we charge people between 13 and 18% for their money, uh, uh, we have a lot of really happy customers that have earned in excess of 500% return on equity. Yeah. And, and, and that is ultimately the missing moment is, is not a lot of people are good at calculating return on equity and, and, and even all of these things that you do, like why would you even lever a business? Why would you even go and buy something with debt? Well, it's because eventually you're going to own terminal value and that's going to have an impact on your return on equity. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually uh, negotiating a deal now and trying to explain that to the buyer that, you know, it's at the end of paying the, the trail of, uh, you know, that, that you'll pay out to the seller, you'll own 100%, you know. And, yeah. No, and, and even further to that, let's, you know, I'll look at that issue from a slightly different perspective. If you only want to make uh, 5% on your money, well, then you don't need a bank. If you want to make 10% on your money, well, you don't need bond capital. But, you know, most equity uh, um, returns, that, that, and you can just sort of see this from looking at the stock market, are somewhere in sort of, you know, that 18 to kind of 28% range. And, and, and then, the, you know, the, the real wins are, are, and you see this, this is all the stuff that gets reported in the movies and the magazines is when people do these substantial returns that are, you know, like I said, 500% or something like that. And it only happens because uh, uh, that person um, um, has decided that they want to make more than, let's just say, 20%. Yeah. And once you decide you want to make more than 20% on your money, um, you start to, that's the starting point. Uh, you need to decide what you're trying to make on your money. The rest of it is just reverse engineering the how. And, Use and leverage, so uh, change the types of things, the way you interact with your customers and suppliers. Um, try to reduce the amount of working capital that is in your business. Stop working at your business, like retire to become chairman and hire a president. Um, all these things add value to your business and ultimately prepare you for an exit. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've had an instance where a, a father was selling his business to his son, and his daughter was going to receive essentially a portion of the payout as a way to equalize um, his estate planning. Yep. And unfortunately, the son went and bought a new building, and uh, you know, business went bust with the economy, and you know it was really terrible. And and in, you know, I've seen situations like that, unfortunately, in hindsight. But I've tried convincing owners that you know, using other people's money and not yours as a parent provides. You know, again, it's not all of your eggs in one basket at the time when you might need it most. Do you find owners coming to you in these succession situations and? How do you get them comfortable taking outside money to, to yeah, and burdening um, their children with the debt? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example. We had a, a business owner that we had invested with, and, 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 and he was the largest regional player, and, and he was approached by another company that wanted to buy him because they wanted to get into that region. Um, and, and essentially, you know, they, they made a, a, a pretty substantial offer, and, and he said, well, you know, look at this offer I got. It looks pretty good. And, I, and so my response was, well, I don't know, like, you got to recognize if you sell your business, then you're not going to work there anymore. So the number you should really be asking yourself is, how much money do I need to 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 not care if the business disappears, right? And and it's sort of an odd way to look at it, but 
you know, in that guy's case, um, he wanted to pay off his house mortgage. He wanted to make sure a couple of his grandchildren had an endowment so they could go to university. And he kind of added up all these numbers, and it, it added up to about $6 million. And, and so the way that he went into that transaction was to make sure that he got $6 million cash on close. And after that, he, he took some stock in that uh, acquiring business um, um, that was on top of the, of the cash pay. And, and that allowed him to do two things. One is he had fully funded his retirement and, and had de-risked his family's estate. And secondly, he still had some upside opportunity what, in what he considered to be a good investment. And, and then to your point, um, just because it looks like a good investment in 2007 after the recession of 2008-9, some of those investments didn't look so good. But if you had the six million dollars still in your bank account, you know you're probably you've hedged your bets and and back to the not putting all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. It's, um, so it often works best if you just do partials, right? And and that's also like on the mezzanine debt side is is you know having a, a mix of equity and 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 senior debt and mezzanine debt uh, just provides for some insurance in case the weather changes, which it does. Yeah. So one one of the things in terms of you know our conversation is that. I found people that speak the way you speak and have the um, you know types of transactions in terms of the structure that you enter into tend to be doing it at, at different places in the marketplace. And so, tell me a little bit about how you picked your sweet spot in that two to twenty million dollar range, and sure. what do you see as the opportunities, and what, are, what what should owners be thinking about if they're in that kind of neighborhood? Um, well, I think it's it's you know very simplistically. <laughs> Um, um, if you're, it depends what you're trying to do. Like, what is the transaction? Let's assume you're trying to buy another business, right? Um, and so I think, in, uh, like, the reason why we're in, in the space we're in is because where I happen to live in Vancouver, Canada, um, and I'm willing to, we basically do business anywhere from uh, Denver uh, north and west. Um, so in northwestern North America, which is our, our trading area, um, um, it's just simply put, I don't care to travel that much. It's as an investor, I want to be fairly close to where the investments are in case we have to go there and, and do some heavy lifting. Um, um, so that's our strategy. And then when I looked at the just the backdrop of the businesses that exist in this area, um, the Pacific Northwest, there's lots of computer businesses, and you know they're not really uh, – they seem to be more equity investment because they're early stage, a lot of those guys. So I'm not playing in that space. Um, there's lots of big lumber companies and big mining companies and big oil and gas companies, and and so those guys aren't uh, really using our our product because they're they're in the public markets and on the New York Stock Exchange, you know, with their billion dollar plus corporations, and and so we found ourselves just focusing on on these businesses with between five million and sort of two hundred and fifty million dollars in revenue, um, noticing that uh, at that stage you don't really have a treasury department, and you're often looking for someone to help you uh, uh, both. Um, uh, access the lowest cost of capital as well as access uh, the right mix of debt and equity. Um, and then going back to that LBO example, you know, if you're buying well, you make all your money when you buy. You know, that, that's why you want to buy a business at three times cash flow and not seven times cash flow. You know, and, and, and so we, another reason why we enjoy the smaller business space in this sort of this 2 to $30 million mezzanine piece that we do, which is you can typically multiply our dollar by five. So if I'm in for two, it's probably a $10 million capital structure. Uh, six million of that's coming from the bank. Two million is coming from bond. Two million is coming from the owner. Now he's got a Visa card for ten million bucks to go buy something, right? And and if he's buying uh, obviously uh, uh, five million in cash flow at two x, or if he's buying one million cash flow at ten x, 
uh, we want to back the guy that's buying well. And it's just a very, we found at that smaller business space, if you decide to go buy another company, it's just really inefficient. Um, there are lots of uh, opportunities to buy companies, um, um, you know, because people sell for reasons other than price. And, and do you tend to uh, consult with the owners on how to structure the acquisition that they're doing, or are they working with a separate team to do the... the yeah, financing? absolutely. We, we will um, uh, structure uh, transactions, we will arrange financing, and we will fund. Um, so we'll do all three pieces, um, or we'll just do the one piece where the guy phones up, uh, he's working with someone like yourself, and they know they need uh, $2 million or $7 million in mezzanine debt, and they just want us to quote on that, uh, on that tranche, and we would do that. Some people, they come with, uh, to us earlier in the game and they, they want some assistance in structuring a, a letter of intent or, or even just strategy around, uh, uh, take a look at my balance sheet, Davis. Uh, tell me how much you think um, um, I can afford if I had the right mix of debt and equity and, and where would I source it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then there's that other side, too, is sometimes you want to buy something because this is back to that transaction with that businessman that sold his company. Um, um, one thing we knew about the, the company coming in was they needed him. Uh, you know, they wanted him more than he wanted them, and and he was able to sell his business at nine times earnings. Wow. Obviously, we're a seller at nine times, but we're hopefully a buyer at three. And and yeah. so we we work with people to to buy well and 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 then to have it properly funded so that uh, that you can um, meet your obligations going forward. And we call that a cash flow to debt service. Our philosophy is 1.5 to 1. So um, at 1 to 1, you're just servicing your needs. At 1.5 to 1, you've got 50 cents left over on every dollar to um, expand, invest in your business in sustainable CapEx and, and other things that happen. Yeah. So uh, if there's an owner that's listening that's been thinking, you know, yeah, maybe I should go out and you know do my own little consolidation, um, what do you think are the makings of the right platform business and in terms of the owner, the business, the capital structure? What, what advice would you have to those owners? Well, I think it's really about um, um, knowing where the money is going to come from to buy it um, and, and knowing who the targets are that you want to buy. Um, and what should typically come out of that, like let's just advance it to the point where you've done 100 of these for some reason, right? By the time you get to 100, it's pretty simple. You're offering a guy 4.1 times earnings. You're saying you can keep your real estate, you can keep your working capital, and then you know that so the way you're going to pay for that is you're going to put up uh, uh, 10% of the, of the purchase price and you're going to arrange for bond to do, uh, say, 40 of it, and you're going to get the bank to do 50 of it. And, and, and that's just what happens after you've done 100 transactions. At transaction one, uh, you know, I think really what you're looking for is to sit down with some people that, that have a proven... Uh, track record and that, that have done it before and, and are able to um, transfer that track record of success to your ambitions. And, and, and that's, just, you know, that's just smart, right? It's, it's partner up with some sort of a mentor that can help you buy well and be properly financed. Um, is, is just, it, it just adds to your potential to be successful. So you've done 130 deals. I'm sure there are some, uh, you know, far and away winners and, and unfortunately some losers. Have you seen any common threads amongst the winners or amongst the losers? I, I think the, the, the common thread is the winners is the passion, right? You really just have to love what you do. And, um, and if you really have that passion, ultimately, it sort of seems to work itself out. You know, I think on, on the, the loser side, it's, 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 it's when you're just not uh, being realistic and you're trying to squeak through, right? It's, you know, it, it's it's like a sports team, and when they're getting down to mathematical elimination, 
uh, and they're saying that you know you, you, there's ten games left and you're going to have to win seven of them in order to get into the playoffs. Like, well, you don't want to be that guy. You want to be the guy that has a high probability of success. I, you only have to win one in ten. And and I think you can always look at any of these business things that you're. It, it's just math, right? It's it's all about math and probabilities. And as I would say, a hockey analogy is is you want to shoot from in front of the net. You don't want to shoot from behind the net. It's just way easier to score from there. And and I think in business, you always want to be positioning your company. And, and these guys that were winners, um, they were very good at, at, at taking calculated risk. And the losers, well, they weren't calculating the risk. Yeah. Um, how and the, about the owners that, that you're working with that go to do an acquisition? Are you finding that they, they've explained, you know, the process and the traction to their management team ahead of schedule and they're all on board? Or is that a function that you often find that uh, you have to do the education for them to their management team as well? Um, well, that's a delicate process, right? Um, um, obviously, there's there's certain... Um, uh, when there's a big shift going on in a business or a big strategic change that's coming, um, or just change in general, uh, some of the human capital gets very nervous about that. They start to look inward and wonder about their job security. Um, so you have to be very careful, right? And, and the most classic example is, is if you were to buy a business, uh, you typically don't need two accountants, so one of them gets let go, right? Uh, so I think you need to be very tactical about, about recognizing who your key core team is, the nucleus team, and, and who the guys are that are replaceable. And, and it's um, um, recognizing that uh, with that core team, uh, you should get them on board early and, and, and get them involved in the strategy. And I would assume, I would, or I would hope, uh, if you're, uh, what you've been doing over the past couple of years is having strategy sessions with that group anyway. So the fact that you're planning to actually follow through on a purchase or a shift change in the business strategy uh, shouldn't be unexpected to that group. The larger, broader group, you know, I, I think uh, my personal perspective on that is is they should find out after the transactions happen because not all transactions happen. So, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, and and in terms of the transactions that you are involved with, how often would you say you know things fall apart after there's been an LOI or a you know? Um, <clears throat> it depends on the economy, right? In in uh, two thousand four, five, six, seven, um, people couldn't buy fast enough. In, in 2014, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, deflationary uh, perspective where, where people aren't rushing into transactions because they think the buyer thinks he can get a better deal and the seller thinks he can get a better deal. So we, today, at this exact moment, we actually exist in a time when it's more difficult to get a transaction done and there's just a lot of deal risk. Yeah, although interest rates are great. Right, the rest, the rest of the uh, moving pieces. Well, and, and there's no growth in the market. Like this is the problem. Like you look, you can see that see that in the GDP uh, um, or even the employment rate is is um, um, this um, without growth, um, um, you're not really compelled to do anything. You know, and, and typically that's why you're buying a business or why you're trying to buy a business is because you have uh, great expectations for what's going to happen the day after you own it. And today, unfortunately, any of those expectations are just kind of muted. So um, it still does. Obviously, it still means it's uh, if you're buying at the right price, it's always a good day to buy buy a business. So for for the owners uh, and the advisors to owners that are listening that don't have a great sense of familiarity with capital structure, bring in someone with your type of expertise. 
what should they do? You know, aside from calling you directly, if they're in the southeastern United States or, or up in the New York metro area, you know, how do they find someone to help guide them through this process? What would you recommend they do? Well, I, I think a starting point is uh, we authored, uh, because we encountered this problem in our travels, we authored a white paper um, um, about uh, about uh, mezzanine uh, finance. And, and, and if you look up under on Wikipedia, under the definition uh, of mezzanine finance on the Wikipedia site, uh, our white paper is cited there, and it, it's taught at the NYU Stern School of Business as well as um, they use it at the UCLA Law School, uh, USC Law School, um, um, just as a primer on finance. And I think that paper, um, um, and the reason why it's been so well received is is we spent a lot of time just dwelling on the middle, the missing middle. Uh, these transactions where the bank says, well, I'll do this much, and the owner says, well, I can only do this much, and gee, it doesn't add up to what I need, what do I do next? And so I think that paper is just a good starting point. It'll give you a really good understanding of that middle piece. Um, and then in that world where, you know, the bank's doing enough, um, and, and let's say they're doing 50%, and let's say this owner is a person of, of means, and they're doing 50%, well, your life's pretty simple. Uh, the only reason you would use um, a third party like ourselves is because you had an expected higher return on equity, and you were using our money to accomplish that. Yeah. Um, well, I think and I think there's, um, I think beyond that, the um, um, just recognizing uh, that that the right mix with the right partners can allow you to get more done. Well, we'll we'll link up to that uh, white paper on uh, the transcript for our podcast. So for those of you that are listening, feel free to visit the divestopedia.com website, and not only we get the link to Davis's information and information about bond capital, but you also have a link to download that white paper. Uh, so what else would you like to share with our listeners before we wrap up for today? Well, I think um, um, uh, th- there's lots of good advice out there, and I, I think um, uh, you should be very selective in choosing who you take your advice from. Um, you should be very. Um, uh, you should check references, uh, and you should look to partner with people that have been there uh, and done before what you are about to uh, go do. There's very, very few things in life that haven't been done by someone else already, uh, and it goes without saying. If you can build a dream team, um, your chances of success are, are are so much higher. Great advice. So, uh, Davis, I want to say thank you for joining us today. And to all of our listeners, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes and leave your feedback on Divestopedia or email me at noah at freedomadv.com. Hope you join us again soon. Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.